Welcome to Focus, an audio series from Colab, the Association of Return Development Workers and Volunteers. I'm your host, Mark Malone. In the series, we take a very look at issues and themes around global inequality and talk to people involved in different ways in challenging inequality and injustices wherever they are. Today we've one guest, Dr. Eilish Dillon. Eilish coordinates a master's course in development studies at Maynooth University. We had a chat about what international development means and some of the misconceptions of the term itself. We also had a chat about how we ended up in Ireland with this kind of weird division between community development on one hand and international development on the other, and why this division is one barrier to real systemic change. Eilish has consistently been a critical voice in Ireland around how the state and many NGOs think and talk about development. As you hear, she has some really interesting things to say about power and the limitations of target-focused thinking, such as the ill-fated Millennium Goals and the Sustainable Development Goals today, asking if they address real power imbalances at the heart of things like climate change and rapidly growing inequality. I went out to Maynooth to record the interview, and my mic was giving me a lot of trouble, so I've had to add in the questions in the edit, but hopefully this doesn't distract from what Eilish has to say. I start off by asking, what is international development? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think most people in Ireland see international development as being about aid and about what we do here in Ireland for what are called so-called developing countries or otherwise known as the countries of the global south maybe Africa, Asia, Latin American countries. So we have, we have a kind of an idea that international development is about the aid and the volunteering and any kind of assistance that we have historically done in Ireland or in other European countries in North America, etc., to support kind of countries which we view to be poorer or more disadvantaged or, you know, in some ways impoverished. So historically and stereotypically, that's how we see international development in Ireland. Now, I would see international development as being very different to that. I I see development as being something about all of us. So when we think about development, again, some people see it as just being about personal development, but it is. But it's also about community development, it's about what we do in our state, it's about what we do in terms of business, it's about, it's about all aspects of our lives, the social, political, economic, uh, cultural aspects of our life. But it's not just about Ireland, it's also about development at a European level, it's about relationships between countries, it's about processes, how we imagine the kind of society we want to live in and what we do in order to bring that about. So when I think about international development, I think about the here and Ireland and also about our relations with the wider world. I do think about global processes and I think that's really important. So it isn't just about some kind of an isolationist understanding of Ireland and we only concern ourselves with what's going on here. But if we're looking at Ireland and international development and Ireland through an international development lens, for me, it's about understanding what are the global forces which shape development in an Irish context, but also what kind of a role does Ireland play in shaping development in other contexts. So I see international development as about, as about development in a, some kind of an interconnected way, not in any way disconnected. And, and 
Part of that, I suppose, is that history of development cooperation is what they call it, or aid and development assistance. But for me, that's not necessarily the most important aspect of international development, nor is it necessarily the best. One of the things that has puzzled me working in the area of development in Ireland is kind of how there seems to be two distinct categories that people working in it fall into. You either work in community development or international development. Which, given the nature of how the social and economic and political power actually works in reality, this seems odd. I asked Eilish, what's going on? In terms of the links between community development and international development, I think they're false dichotomies. And I think they're often dichotomized to, to, to suit government departments who have different funding lines uh, and, and actors who, are, who become then kind of, I suppose, not pawns because they're not pawns at all, but they become uh, reliant on a particular type of funding and therefore they speak a particular type of language. I recently did some research on development education, which is kind of raising awareness and understanding about development issues and um, engagement, critical engagement with uh, development issues. And most of the people who are, who are engaged in development education, I, one of the questions I asked them was, do you like the term development education or would you change it? And most of them would prefer another term, but they still use it because that's what the funder uses. And I only give that as an example, not because I think the funder controls or determines, but you know, there are all of these dichotomies that exist because of, for structural and institutional reasons. Now, in one, of the, one of the thing, the effects of that, I suppose, there's a number of effects of it, I think. Well, one of them, I'm not sure, is it an effect or is it, is it more one of the processes involved in that, is that we fail then to make the connections between what goes on here in Ireland and what happens internationally. And then, even though terms like North-South are used in, say, international development policy, that usually you know, even when it's used in, in, in terms of we can, you know, we can connect what goes on here in Ireland with what's going on overseas, it usually means we think in, in, in dichotomous or binary terms. Now, what I mean by that is we do see realities in Ireland as separate to what's going on in, for example, Kenya or Malawi or um, Bolivia or whatever. So there's a ten so I think it is an effect really that we tend to disconnect, uh, even though we sometimes use the language of the global and we disconnect the experience here from elsewhere. And we see ourselves very often as more accomplished or progressive in some ways. The other point is that we di in doing that, there's a disconnect between what's happening in the here and the now and what, ha what, what the, the structural causes of what's happening in here and the now. So people in Ireland talk about housing all the time, as we know, and rightly so. Now, to what extent do we, do we analyse that in terms of neoliberal capitalist um, policies at a global level? I spent today and yesterday reading through the consultation document from Irish Aid on its new international development policy. And it re very, there are very few references to the economy. 
one of the only references is to Ireland as a small country with an open economy. There's no critique of neoliberalism. There's talk of poverty. There's talk of gender inequality. There are no, there is absolutely no reference to why any of these things have happened. The only historical references in the whole little document are to Ireland's history and to the history of development cooperation. Imagine such a disconnect with what's happening in the world. A, a disconnect between, there's mention of refugees and migrants and of crises, but the disconnect between what happens in, what's happening in Syria or Yemen and what's happening in the, in the Mediterranean. And the, the document is all about how brilliant we are overseas. There's absolutely no reference to what's going on in Ireland. Now, there, there is reference to the crash and stuff, but it's so disconnected. So for me, that, that disconnect is something that I've been thinking about quite a bit recently. And that what we need, you know, I suppose in international development, the NGOs and Irish Aid, there's a very strong sense of building support for international development. Now, I, I believe that, but what does that mean? Is that building support for aid? Is it just about upping the aid budget? Or is it about building critical engagement with what's going on in Ireland and what's going on in other countries with the systems and structures which are shaping our community development here or community activism here. You know, what about the whole uh, financialization of housing? What about, you know, the, 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 the rise in, I suppose, a particular type of policing in, in an Irish context? What's the, where is that coming from? And what's, what's the effect of all of, of dampening down on people's right to express themselves and to be active. All that's happening elsewhere in the world as well. So why? So all these things need to be connected. So if the distinctions are arbitrary given the similarities of problems in, you know, locally here and internationally, how does international development have the meaning that it has today? How do we get to that point? Our understandings of international development in Ireland have been hugely shaped by a, the way in which we have constructed our history of it. So it's not like, of course we have a history of international development, if it's understood in terms of aid and volunteering and missionary work. And that goes back to, you know, 19th century Irish missionaries and people talk all the time about our have a sense that we have some kind of an understanding of colonisation, of famine, and that through that we have some kind of a, a greater empathy or solidarity with people in the global south. Uh, this message or this framing of international development as, as basically about charity, and, but also with a, a justice angle. So it's not all charity, but, this, but, it's, but it is all coming from us in the global north, assuming that we're developed and that we can help and support countries in the global south to become more like us. That's the kind of conventional framing and, and that has in my view a kind of a charity wing and it has a, a more justice wing. But anyway, that kind of an idea has come out of our, our framing of our own history, but also our uh, a kind of a, I suppose, a, a missionary and NGO driven narrative about global problems. And I think it's really important, especially for somebody like me, who's very critical of these mainstream perspectives, to also acknowledge that there is 
massive global inequalities and that there is, there is and has been phenomenal um, uh, discrimination against and oppression of, of peoples and countries often in the global south, of course also in the global north but often in the global south. So at the same time um, I suppose you could argue that NGOs and the Irish state use that narrative of how generous we are and how many problems they have in order to con continue to develop a particular type of global influence. And that type of influence is shaped through international development cooperation. So the reason I suppose we have a strong sense of ourselves in all of this is partly because this has been constructed for us and in the construction then we also kind of live out that reality so we're constantly being told we're generous and therefore people do get engaged with and they do organize cake sales and they go on the streets and they protest about climate justice or climate injustice and they you know they they argue for different campaigns around make poverty history that kind of stuff so the ngos have a big influence and they can mobilize people because people trust them they people have bought into that narrative both about the countries of the global south and about themselves um, where for me that becomes problematic is when the representations or the kinds of uh, ways in which those stories are told are very limiting, where they're depoliticized and where they don't ask us to critically question why. So what the NGOs have been really good at doing is telling us how responses work or what, is, what works very well or what we can do but they haven't in my view I'm not saying it doesn't happen by the way but just not to the same extent they haven't put as much emphasis on some kind of a structural analysis of why there are global inequalities why some countries are you know arguably poorer than others or people have more incidences of uh, death from malaria why is there more conflict in some countries than others why is that all happening and then the other problem in some ways is that the assumption is always that aid is the answer now if you ask any NGO person they won't say aid is the answer and they won't say aid is always the answer but funnily, if you ask people more generally in the Irish population, what do they see as the answer? They nearly always see aid as the answer. And as you say, where are they getting that idea from? So even though people who work more professionally in, this in these kinds of areas know well that aid has many problems and that it isn't the only answer, often that's not the message that's going out. It, it may even not always be the message that's being sent out, though I think it is largely so, but it's definitely the message that's getting out there. So the question is, um, I suppose, how, what role, I suppose, a question is, what role do NGOs have to play in shifting our narratives and in shifting our understandings, rather than just responding to what people already know? So that raises other big questions. So one of those problems that comes up is this. If there's an absence of structural analysis around the causes of poverty or of the drivers of growing inequality, what does this mean for state policy? 
I asked Eilish about her examination of Irish aid, the section of the Department of Foreign Affairs with a remit for international development. What I find is you can get these contrasting and contradictory discourses or framings or narratives going on, okay? So Irish Aid in one document can say one, have one thrust and the next time round it has a different thrust or within the document actually you can say all of these things which re reflect different ideological positions. So on the one hand there's, it can talk about an emphasis on Innovative financial strategies, now what is that? And working with private business. Now that raises my critical hackles, I suppose, when I'm thinking about neoliberalism and I'm wondering, what's that about? Uh, so on the one hand, it can do that. On the other hand, it can talk about human rights and justice and empowerment and equality. But those two things don't always sit, like they can sit fine together inside in a document, but they don't necessarily sit very well together in terms of a coherent, a political stance. So any kind of government policy can have this, like these competing and contradictory discourses. On the other hand, sometimes civil society plays a massive role in terms of shaping policy. But really and truly, you know, in, I suppose I've done a lot of research on what's said. And what is said is really important, or what's written in policy is very important, because it does shape the way we think and it can shape practice. But it isn't the only thing that's important. And you can write any old good stuff. So like one of the things that I, I would argue is that a lot of uh, Irish aid or development cooperation policy has, has kind of a very idealized kind of a rhetoric. It's very aspirational. It sounds fantastic. I was just looking at it, as I mentioned earlier on, I was looking at it today. You know, unless you really look deeply into it, you wouldn't really have too many problems with it. So it can sound really good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that how, how that plays out in practice translates. Now, a lot of people would argue that Irish Aid, you know, does development in the global south very well. And honestly, I don't know enough about the practice to be able to say otherwise. I, I believe that, uh, that it has a lot of really good values and a lot of really good practices. Where I criticise Irish Aid and a lot of the mainstream NGOs is in the emphasis of their representation of development. Because for me, the emphasis on development cooperation takes away from an emphasis on political, economic, uh, kind of, I suppose, more broader structures. So when you spend all your time trying to raise the aid budget, it doesn't mean that that aid budget goes in the wrong place. It doesn't mean it's not doing good work. What it does mean, though, is that you're underemphasizing other work and you're placing a priority and a kind of a primacy on aid when our, when our challenges at a global level are much, much more complex in my view. And, and I suppose that's where I'm critical of mainstream kind of development constructions. And in terms of managerialism and how that has permeated its way into the NGO and I suppose the international development sector or community or whatever way you want to put it, again for me that's about emphasising the technical the measurable, it's emphasising a kind of professionalism that takes people, especially smaller organisations and more 
underfunded organisations. It takes them away from the work that they really want to be doing, which is occupying the streets or organising a conference or organising a debate or, or in, you know, increasing people's understanding or helping people to understand what's going on much better. So for me, one of the problems with that managerialism is that it, it binds people, ties them up in bureaucracy. And it's not that they're doing this unknowing, by the way, because they are, they know what they're at. And they also, many people, you know, they need to live their lives, they need to pay their mortgages, they, they need jobs too, so they need funding. So it's, it's not about trying to live in some kind of an idealised world. But on the other hand, I think it's really important that we, t we, criticize, we, we are critical of these things. When I go to conferences, most people talk about how do, we, how do we do evaluations better? How can we find better mechanisms for measuring uh, whatever it is we're doing? What, what tools do we need to account for ourselves? And you know, that's fine. And for me, let other people be at that crack. I feel myself that an awful lot of that is taking us away from the business that people should better be doing, which for me is education and political awareness raising and activism. And that's why for me, I spend my time analysing and trying to understand what's going on with a view to communicating it and engaging in critical uh, education, development education, so that I suppose to the best of our ability, we're not overly caught up in all this stuff. In developing collective critical awareness of how the world works and getting a better understanding of why it's working the way that it is and then turning that knowledge and learning into action and doing something about it, we inevitably run into questions about power. So what's a useful way to come at those questions around power? When I think about power relations, I think it's really important to, to name, to understand power and how it works in its many, many ways. And you see, again, I sound like some kind of an academic, but like, I cannot but see it in terms of kind of complex levels and layers of power and ways in which power works. Uh, so I think we need to understand it, we need to name it, and that, uh, and that without being able to do, without doing those, we can't really challenge it. So you see, sometimes when power is viewed in simplistic demonos terms or dominant forces versus the victim underdog terms, often the responses only repeat the problems of, of what, you know, you, you have a shift from, say, some kind of an autocratic leader to another set of autocratic leaders because the, the complexities involved in the power relations haven't actually been explored. Um, I think gender power relations have taught us that over many years, that, that it's not just simply about including people. You actually have to change systems and you have to take, take account of diversity. So when you, when you ask me about power relations, I think about holding things in tension. And I've, that is a really complex thing to take on board because on the one hand, we must name inequalities, we must name injustices and challenge them. And there are lots of systems and structures for doing that. And people are doing it all over the world in the most 
micro kinds of contexts, you know, challenging big business who are uh, depleting their land of oil or, you know, destroying uh, communities because of dams or uh, communities who are saying we need antiretroviral treatment at very, you know, low cost or people who are saying, you know, who are who are getting together again, you know, in the fight against violence against women or whatever. It's just such a myriad of re of of issues which people are advocating on, educating themselves about, advocating on in so many millions of contexts. And uh, I don't subscribe to the to the view that there is a perspective from the global south. Because that's back to your north-south dichotomy and there's huge wealth and inequalities within the global south and huge diversities. So of course there are groups and organisations in the global south, in Europe, in North America. We've seen um, incredible activism in North America in recent years, which I would find, you know, I would subscribe to and I would see them as very congruent with my perspective. And, and there were others then that are highly problematic. You know, so there's issues around identity, there's issues around distribution of wealth, there's issues around, I suppose, you know, who gets to name what's a human right and what's not? Uh, how, do we, how do we enforce our ideas of what development means on others or not? So it's so, so complex. And, but I think it is really important to not see the global south, back to what I was saying earlier on, when we think about the stereotypes in Ireland of international development, the stereotype is that the agents are in the global north. We're the ones who do. We're the ones who change. We're the ones with power. And that is such a limited perspective because actually there is massive change happening in the global south. Uh, one of the participants on our course in, in Minute the other day talked about megacities and the growth of megacities in the south. In Ireland most people think that people in countries in Africa, Asia and Latin America live in small huts in rural areas and of course many people do but the megacity has changed, has changed the world, not always for the better of course, there's huge challenges there but there's a lot of change happening and a lot of people are very politically active. On the other hand of course there are forces which are limiting equality and inequality, even though absolute poverty is reducing, if you go by UN statistics, inequalities are growing at a phenomenal rate and that also affects us here. So trying to hold all those things in tension and recognise power as, as being about identity, economic wealth, about participation in politics, about your recognition in a society, like it has so many different dimensions. We were running out of time and I wanted to ask Eilish about those top-down initiatives such as the Millennium Development Goals of the late 1990s and the Sustainable Development Goals that most countries including Ireland have signed up to today. They set non-binding targets, no governments are held to account for any of the targets they don't meet, and yet many organisations, including my own I have to say, are generally uncritical. I'm curious to what my guest's take on this is. I think it's amazing that, that people, you know, it is a really, in one sense, a really positive thing about humanity, that people continue to believe that if countries around the world agree, with, agree to goals, that it will actually happen. And like that shows that people believe in transformation and they believe in hope, and that's a good thing. 
That's a really good thing, yeah? On the other hand, I was reading the other day, the target for Ireland to give 0.7% of its GDP or its now gross national income to development assistance, that target came out in the 1950s and was actually agreed in 1970. I remember, because I'm around long enough, in Kolov campaign aid in the 1980s and 90s campaigning for this. For me, there is a problem with target type thinking. It, there's, there's also a benefit to it because it sets goals and people can in, aspirationally have something to look forward to. But the problem is that the target becomes the end point, not something to, as a tool to get somewhere else. And that is a big problem. But they really don't fundamentally challenge existing systems in any way. They make them a bit greener. They assume, which is a really good thing, that it's not just something for the Global South. On the other hand, a lot of the rhetoric is still about for the Global South. I find it fascinating that so many uh, development educators and development activists have invested so much of their time in in, uh, I suppose, education around and engagement with the Sustainable Development Goals. I have to believe that there must be something positive there. Personally, I'm, I'm more interested, I suppose, in seeing how they could be used as a, a bounce off, or some kind of a trampoline into a much more critical world. You've been listening to Focus, an audio series from Colo, the Association of Return Development Workers.